rescued nine times in my life, Dr. Vesalius. How many murders can be attributed to you? None. I did not kill your wife. No? I tried to save her. With a knife in your hand, Doctor, I have no faith in your profession. Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. Someone is using these ancient biblical curses to kill everyone associated with the Five's operation. And so, the midnight comes. <laughs> the howling. I have nothing. I thought you would have had something. I thought I did. I had nothing. This was an episode that you've been chomping at the bit to get to for the longest. How you doing? I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And we're back with a scream-filled episode of Better in the Dark. Some of you are probably going to think that we should have held over to more appropriately Halloween, considering the subject Mm -hmm. matter. This is another episode that is inspired by a box set. Exactly. So, much like the Ray Harryhausen episode was inspired by a box set that was released at that time, this episode is a tribute to a great, great man built around a box set of his later films. And it's not like we won't have plenty of material at Halloween. Look at this list here on Wikipedia of this man's work. Easily over a hundred films. There has always been some debate as to which was his hundredth film. They claim that one of the films we're going to talk about today was, but it probably wasn't. Okay. He may have actually passed that beforehand. We are talking, by the way, about the great, the late Mr. Vincent Price, who died in 1993 and left in his wake over a hundred films. An incredible, immense body of work. That not only included film, but also in radio, because just the other day I was listening to XM Satellite Radio. Mm -hmm. As you know, I listened to the old-time radio station. Not too long ago, they had two Vincent Price episodes that he did on a show called Suspense. Mm -hmm. He was a true renaissance man. Absolutely. He was a great art art collector. Art collector. And in fact, he was one of these people that believed that art should be accessible to everybody and cut a deal with Sears. During the 60s, where he would go around the country looking for pieces of art, mm-hmm. commission prints made, and they'd be available in Sears stores throughout the country. Right. For somebody, if they wanted something nice yeah, in their Yeah, if they wanted room. a nice print, they didn't have to go out and spend 120 bucks. He know, was yeah. the rarest of rare things, a gourmand who just loved food. There's a wonderful disc in this box set, which is a feature set disc, and one of the biographers who are being interviewed, talks about how Price would lead these little expeditions of friends. And one week they'd go to like this fancy French restaurant. The next week they'd go down to Los Angeles Stadium for Dodger Dogs. Because he just... He, he wasn't a snob. He wasn't. Most people remember him as this caricature of himself. Right. But he was apparently a tremendous actor. Some of the things we're going to talk about will show you how oh, great yeah. an actor he was. Oh, in yeah. fact, he had, he had a remarkable range. And as a matter of fact... 
if you look at Hollywood movies of the 30s and 40s, most people remember him for his horror movies. Right. But if you go back to the 1930s and 40s, he was in a lot of film noir movies. Mm-hmm. He was in a lot of mysteries. He was in comedy. Right. Well, what stifled his career in uh, those early years was the fact that he loved the stage. So he would go to Hollywood for six months and appear in a film or two. Right. Then go to England and appear on the London stage mm-hmm. for another six months. And by the time he came back, people had forgotten about him. I think I've mentioned this story before. Jose Farrar claimed, he's not with us anymore, that the greatest Shakespearean performance he ever saw was Vincent Price playing Richard III. Hmm, I can believe it. What we got here is MGM released late last year a box set called the Vincent Price Scream Icon Collection which is composed of six films, some of which are some of my favorite Vincent Price performances. Okay. And we're going to spend an hour or so talking about these films. I think it's worth mentioning also that a lot of people mistakenly believe that Vincent Price was an Englishman. He, he was, was born native, in Missouri. He was a native born and bred American. Mm-hmm. He didn't get that British accent until later on. When he studied in Oxford. There you go. I think that's something to throw mm-hmm. out there. A lot of people say, oh, oh really he was? Yeah. That. He was born right here in the good old U.S. Mm-hmm. of A. In fact, his father was the owner of the National Camp Candy Company. And his grandfather invented Dr. Price's baking powder, the first cream of tartar baking powder. That was what made the family fortune. He was definitely upper crust, even back then. But the thing that amazes me about this man is that he was definitely not a snob. He definitely was someone who was at home on the street as he was in a limousine. Absolutely. Shall we get started? Because we've got six films to get to. Uh, Well... Let's get to it then. Well, okay. You we we ain't waiting on me. <laughs> well, I guess we'll start with the first film chronologically and probably the least interesting of the films, which is, of course, Twice Told Tales. This was a very, very, very long slog of an adaptation of three Nathaniel Hawthorne films. Um, this is the one with Rappuccini's daughter? Yes. Oh, God, I hate that one. It's a two-hour-plus long movie that feels like it's two days. Four hours, yeah. You know what it feels like? It feels like one of those PBS Masterpiece Theater things, mm-hmm. that even though it's an hour, it felt like you've been sitting there all night long yeah, watching. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's also kind of sad that Sebastian Cabot is in it, <laughs> in the first story, and there are some good actors, and it, it's decent performances... But, but it's nothing to uh, plan a whole evening around, yeah. in other words. Not when there are uh, much better other uh, mm-hmm. Vincent Price movies that you can spend your time with. We should explain, this box set, with the exception of the last disc, there are four folders in this box set. And with the exception of the last folder, the other discs are double-sided discs with a movie on each side. Okay. So we're looking at the first disc, which is Price Told Tales, and it shares the disc with Tales of Terror. Mm-hmm. which is the representative of the famous Roger Corman Poe films mm, okay. that really made Vincent Price's name as a horror icon in American cinema. As bad as Twice Told Tales was, Tales of Terror holds up pretty well. This is the one he did with Peter Lorre. He does Peter Lorre. That's the other thing I took away from it. You know how they, they talk about you never met a man you didn't like? Yeah. Vincent Price apparently was famous for staying in touch with his co-stars and just being... Very loyal to them. Well, didn't he get Peter Lorre working his last couple mm-hmm. of years in, yeah. or drinking himself to mm-hmm. death? What this is, is it's an anthology picture adapting three of Poe's shorter works. Mm-hmm. The first one is Morella, 
Okay. Which is a two-handed uh, play, him and one actress. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly morose, sad, typical Poe story. Is there any other kind? That's true. Okay, <laughs> point taken. It's a very, very somber... You don't read Poe if you want to have a good time. <laughs> it's about a man who is dying. He's been a recluse for a long time. His daughter comes back to visit him. He's been estranged from this daughter for a long time, ever since his wife, Morella, died in childbirth. Having the presence of this daughter, he reunites with her, and they grow close again. But that only stirs the spirit of Morella up, who tries to possess the daughter. Luckily, the father ain't having it. Good, but for, it doesn't, good for dad. But it doesn't end happily. Yeah, it's, a, it's a post it's story. It's a post story. <laughs> it's a post story. If you want shits and giggles, go <laughs> go watch episode of The Simpsons. The thing that strikes me about Tales of Terror is that each of these stories show a different side of Price as an actor. Mm-hmm. This one is very somber. It's almost bordering on the melodramatic. Then we get The Black Cat. Oh. The, the longest one featuring Price and Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre is Montressor Herringbone, the town drunk, who is married to this much younger woman. He abuses her. He's constantly begging for money on the street so he can go and drink. He stumbles into a wine tasting contest which features a demonstration of wine tasting by Mr. Fortunato Lucchese, played by Price. There's this hilarious scene where Harry Mohn goes, Oh, screw you, I can taste wine as good as you can. Mm-hmm. And they have this little duel of mm-hmm. the wine tasting. And Vincent Price goes through this whole ritual where he takes it in a little cup and he puts it in his mouth and he swishes it around mm-hmm. and sucks some air inside. Yeah, that it is the thing. funniest damn thing you've ever seen. Best thing. Yeah, and then Peter Lord just takes the bottle, and, and takes throws, a healthy swig, and, it back, and yeah. identifies where it's from. It throws it back, yeah. Yeah. And they become really great friends. But the thing is, of course, Fortunata has a eye on, on Harry Bone's wife. Mm. And Harry Bone finds out, so he murders them by walling them up in his basement so they can just starve and die. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the black cat, the, the devoted pet of the wife, has other plans and he leads to the increasingly insane Harry Bone's demise. This is kind of like an amalgam of two post yeah. stories, The mm-hmm. Castle of Amontillado exactly. and The Black Cat. And this one, it shows off both Price's and Laurie's sense of humor. It's played very much as a uh, comedy. Well, they did do an out-and-out comedy. Yeah. They did The Raven. They remember? did The Raven, yeah, which is with, a lot with, of fun. With Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. And the final story is The Facts in the Case of Anne Valdemar. Which are the facts? Which unites Price with another grand actor of the earlier days of Hollywood, Mr. Basil Rathbone. Oh, cool. M. Valdemar, played by Price, is dying of a disease. However, there's this mesmerist, played by Basil Rathbone, who's Mm -hmm. able to arrest the progression of the disease. And the plan is that, just as he's about to die, Die. the mesmerist is going to hypnotize him. Right. But the mesmerist is a little bit of of a slimy bastard, mm-hmm. and has designs on Valdemar's daughter, who is already everybody been, got designs yeah. on everybody's wife and daughter and everything. Who, People can't Valdemar, just find their own women. Who Valdemar <laughs> has said to the daughter, "I want you to marry my doctor." Who so we know he's a good person, mm-hmm. and he's like he's a good man. He'll take good care of you, and I know you love him. Okay. But then, of course, the mesmerist says, "Well, I'm going to keep your father in suspended animation, where he's going to be in pain." 
the father can talk telepathically mm-hmm. with the mesmerist. He's like going, please let me die, please. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to leave him in pain forever unless you marry me. <laughs> Needless to say, once again, it doesn't end up too happy for the mesmerist. <laughs> so this is the story that's famous for Price fighting the effects of the mesmerism mm-hmm. and rising up and smiting Basil Rathbone as he is decaying. Which is depicted kind of like almost like he's melting like wax. Melting like wax. Which I, I remember seeing... A still of that when I was a little, little kid and having nightmares for days. Apparently, a mixture of glue, glycerin, and cornstarch were heated and then poured over Vincent Price's head to give the impression of his face melting away. The substance was so hot that Price could only stand it for a few seconds. So would you say that that's the best one out of all three stories? Actually, I think the Black Cat of the three the stories Cat, is the best, like, because okay. it's, it's a lot of fun. It shows, like I said, a very rare time when we get to see Vincent Price be out-and-out out humorous. I mean, we're going to see in the next batch of films that we talk about, the Vibes mm-hmm. films and the Theater of Blood, right. that he did have a wicked sense of humor. Going back to what I was saying earlier, if you go look at a lot of Warner Brothers movies of the 30s and 40s with, that he was in, he was in a bunch of comedy. The man did have range. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just a one-note actor. And then we get into the next disc. Which is? One of my favorite movies, Okay, period. Not just one of my favorite Vincent Price movies, mm-hmm. The Abominable Dr. Five. Which revitalized his career, mm-hmm. actually, for a while. Well, that whole brand of horror I will contend, this was made in 1971, this film and the next two films we're going to talk about mm-hmm. are the bridging points between universal-style horror mm-hmm. and the modern slasher film. Right, because then after this, now we get the Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacres and Friday the 13th. The Last yes. House on the Left. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. This is like the bridging gap. Directed by former Avengers set designer Robert Fuest. Remember that name? Starring... Of course, Vincent Price. As Dr. Fives. As Dr. Fives. Joseph Cotton, Terry Thomas, and an actress... <laughs> By the name of Virginia North. There will be lots of rhapsody of Ms. North. I can't hardly wait. The film is set in some unspecified point in the past. It's like it, about the 20s. You get the yeah. impression from the cars and the clothing and the music, it's vaguely the 1920s. Doctors are dying from very mysterious circumstances. The first one dies because somebody let a whole lot of bees into his study. You have a guy who died from bat bites. Yes, that's like the first murder we actually see on screen. Yeah. One of my favorites is Mm -hmm. the psychiatrist, because the psychiatrist is a head shrinker, Mm -hmm. he is fitted with a frog mask. A frog mask. With this bizarre mechanical clasp. Clasp that keeps keeps tightening until one it notch crushes at his throat. One notch at a time. He's at a masquerade yeah. party. And everybody's and every- thinking he's drunk he's, and they're like yeah. laughing at him. Because he's stumbling all over the place trying to get this mask Until the blood comes gushing out of Yeah, oh, that was a goodie. It's- you have one guy that's completely drained of blood. Meanwhile, we know that, that somebody's behind all this because we keep cutting to what looks to be this giant conservatory. Ballroom conservatory, Ballroom, yeah. yeah. Where a hooded figure is conducting clockwork men when he's not playing the organ. Right. He's got a clockwork orchestra, and right. it's a band, and they're playing this really tinkly, wonky, yeah. 1920s type of ragtime of all And, things. of course, there's this assistant of his, mm-hmm. Volnavia, played by Virginia North, does not have a word of dialogue in this mm-hmm. entire film, but she doesn't need it. Which contrasts with Dr. Fibes, who has a lot of dialogue, but never moves his mouth. Yeah. Well, the I mean, thing is, it's, actually, it's weird. You in know, the first one, Fives doesn't talk a lot. 
Mm-hmm. He has, I think, three monologues throughout the hour and 38 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Other than that, he's silent for the whole film, as opposed to the next one we talk about, where he doesn't shut the fuck up. Yeah, he talks a lot in the second one. There's this Scotland Yard inspector right. who's kind of a plodding sort of mm-hmm. guy, really not that bright. But he gradually pieces... Inspector Trout, played by Peter Jeffries. He's smart enough to gradually piece together that these murders are based on biblical plagues. Right. Well, they find this amulet. Um, um, Amulet, yeah. With a Jewish symbol Mm -hmm. on it. And he finds a jeweler, and the jeweler says, oh, that was Hebrew. Right. So he goes to a rabbi, and the rabbi explains that it's a sign of the Ketoth, the ten legendary plagues of Egypt. Right. That's how Inspector Trout says, okay, well, there's going to be more of these then. Mm-hmm. So he tries to find out what do these doctors have in common. And what they mm-hmm. all have in common is that they worked on this one case. The, the main surgeon was played by Joseph Cotton. Who right. The, who was the chief surgeon. The chief the surgeon, for lack of a better term, the hero of the picture. Mm-hmm. Not much of a hero, right. but go ahead. Where he treated a young woman named Victoria Fives. Ooh, the black thickens. We sh- might want to mention, does not appear in the film at all, except for like five seconds at the very end. But she's very much a presence because we see her in pictures, and mm-hmm. we see all over Fives' hideout. And she's played by someone that we have rhapsodied on before. <laughs> I the great, the beautiful Miss Carolyn Monroe. Who again, never gets the same word, never, never appears. But like you said, she's a presence throughout the... And it's uh, what happens to her that motivates right. the whole plot. So what basically happens is she falls very, very ill. The doctors have to treat her. They contact Fives, who's away in Europe. He's rushing to get to her side, gets into a car accident, and becomes horribly disfigured and is believed dead. His vocal cords are destroyed. Well, we know that he can speak this because he's... A theologist, mm-hmm. an acoustic scientist, and one of the leading organists in the world. Mm. So he's founded a way to create an artificial voice box using a Victrola and these cables. Yeah, he sticks it in his neck and he can talk. In fact, he also eats through that same hole You're in right. his neck. Because yeah. there's a, a picnic scene with him in Volnavia where he mm-hmm. just spoons up something, just puts it down there. So he holds these doctors responsible for what happened to his wife and him. And that's why... He's going and after. He's using the ten plagues of Egypt, which include, in addition to the three that we already mentioned, blood, which was Terry Thomas. Terry Thomas. And that was a creepy act. When I first saw that, that scene freaked me out, where they tie him down and make him watch himself watch. be exsanguated. While they drain the blood from his body into these huge jars. While Virginia North is playing the violin outside. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that, that makes this film so wonderful, is it is so highly stylized. And it's a wonderful, pulpish kind of way to kill people. Yeah. That's what I like. People killed people with style back mm-hmm. then. They didn't just pick up a gun and blow their brains out. Yeah. The next one is Hail, okay. in which they create this science fiction-y machine that mm. they put in the guy's car. That, and they put it in his car. Yeah, yeah. and it freezes yeah. him solid. Free- they hook it to his engine, so it runs off his engine. It yeah. freezes him solid. Rats where they sneak rats onto this guy's airplane. Another one of my favorites, The Plague of Beasts, where the one doctor is impaled by the brass head of a unicorn yeah. from across the street. From across the street. And they're like getting ready to, to spirit him away to the safe house, and then you hear just funk, funk, and, and they have to unscrew the unicorn horn from the wall. These British actors have one little deadpan expressions while they look at this crazy mm-hmm. shit. A number of reasons why this is one of my favorite films. One, like I said, is just how amazingly stylized this film is. Mm-hmm. Two, the way that every single character in this film is distinct. There's a gravedigger who has one scene 
but he's given two or three lines of dialogue that say volumes about what he's like. About what he thinks about, uh, yeah. When he goes to the jeweler mm-hmm. to find out about... The jeweler is very prissy and very proper. And he's a very tall lady, very, very stylish. And also... He's very proud of his work. Yes. And Inspector Trout said, well, why don't you tell me this about this? He said, well, you didn't ask me. Right. You know, <laughs> this is one of Vincent Price's last great performances, yeah. along with the next couple of films we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. He's playing it very straight. He's aware of the humor, obviously, and he does it in a very deadpan way. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that everybody does. In this type of movie, you can't wink at the camera. The more deadpan you play it, mm-hmm. the funnier it is. We may be making it sound like it's a horrible thing. It yeah. is. But there's a lot of it that's actually very funny. You're sitting there and you're cracking up while you're watching Vincent Price do the most horrible things to these people. You say, well, should I be laughing at this? And then you say, well, what the hell? Let me go ahead and laugh at it. It's just that type of movie. You just have to take it off faith like that. I want to mention Virginia North again here. Okay. Woman had no line. She was a stunningly gorgeous brunette woman. She has no lines of dialogue whatsoever, but solely through body language and facial expression, mm-hmm. she has a fully rounded character. There's like this one moment as they're preparing for the murder tied into the Plague of Locust, mm-hmm. where they cause a nurse to be eaten by locusts. Yeah, right. they got to drill a hole and in Drill a hole. They, they go to the floor above mm-hmm. and drill a hole in the floor below, and they've got the locusts right up under the. They've got a gurney that yeah. they've got. Yeah, I want to read you something from a, a website called "The Thousand Misspent Hours and Counting" about Virginia North. Getting back to that scene, they're boiling Brussels sprouts to create yeah. this thing to attract the locusts. Right. We see the scene where she comes up to him with this big bushel of Brussels sprouts, and he sorts through a couple, throws a couple out, mm-hmm. and goes up to his lab, and Virginia North watches him, then looks, it's the only time that the fourth wall is broken mm-hmm. in the film, looks at the camera with this quizzical expression on her face that cracks me up every time. Like, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what this reviewer says, it's from a website called A Thousand Misspent Hours. And then there's Virginia North of Deadlier Than the Male has Volnavia. I always thought it would be fun to be an evil genius when I grew up. And now I know that one of the fringe benefits is the possibility of having Virginia North for a pet. I really need to think I need to find myself a university that offers a graduate program in advanced evil. Like she's like the perfect She's the perfect assistant. Yeah. She's the perfect assistant. She dresses her ass off. Oh, she's I mean yeah, because she's got these various gorgeous and gowns and, and, and hats and, yeah. and capes and Yeah, but go back to And it shows just how great an actress she was mm-hmm. that when she's replaced in the second film by Valley Kemp, the character just Die! The character goes nowhere. It's nowhere near as memorable as the character in the first movie. Going back to what you said about characters, when we talk about Joseph Cotton, I don't see him as being the hero of the movie. I see right. Inspector Trout as being mm-hmm. the hero in the movie. And I'll tell you why. Given the British class system, we have this inspector. He's a working class guy. Mm-hmm. He's not that bright, right. but he's steady at his job. In a strange way, I think the movie also says something about the class system. because Because right. his you, boss is a total dunderhead. But he... It's like a running gag that constantly mispronounces Trout's name and the name of anybody he encounters. Exactly. Trout is the one that has to figure fives out these other doctors. He's got to rescue them. So it's like the upper crust of the British class system mm-hmm. has to rely on this middle class plotting guy to right. save them from one of their mm-hmm. own. So it's a subtle commentary on that, uh, I think, at, as well. I'm looking at the Wikipedia production notes here, and it says that 
Quest had to rewrite the original script because Fives was much more violent. And yeah, uh, that, I've heard that. I've and heard. the thing about this film is that as much as abhorrent as his crimes are, mm-hmm. you feel a lot of sympathy well, yeah, for I mean, Fives. And in fact, you get the impression that tr- there's a certain amount of admiration mm-hmm. that Trout and the Joseph Conner character, Vasilius, have towards this guy because they're... Right, even the Joseph Cotton character yeah. at one point saying, yeah. he said, listen, there was nothing we could do for her, but I understand where the guy's coming from. Right. But I have heard, yeah, that originally it was much more horrific and much more violent. So they toned it down and made it more satirical. I think also, one of the other things is how well paced and how West's rewrite covers all the bases and established, like, for example, that Fives had been dead for something like five years, so he had all this time to design all this right, stuff. Which right, Which is going to be a major flaw mm-hmm. when we get to, I think we might as well start easing into Dr. Fives uh, Rises Again, Again. which is a quickie sequel also done by Robert Fuest. Because the first one was such a runaway hit that they really kind of rushed this one into production. Yeah, it came out pretty much immediately after the first film, because the first film was Gangbusters. The first Cynic Commits is the, it rewrites the ending of the first film. Mm -hmm. Because in the first film, after Fives has figured that he's gotten his revenge of Asilius, by forcing him to operate on his son. Mm-hmm. He goes back down into his little private chamber. Where his wife is, is into Hooks himself up to a device that extracts his blood. Replaces, takes replaces it with blood. embalming fluid. Right. And he dies. He dies. Having done what he planned to do. Yeah, he got his revenge. In the new film, as we learn from Gary Owen, he did not die, but in fact was waiting for a certain alignment, at which point... Alignment of the stars, the yes. planets, and stuff like that. And that really wasn't embalming yeah. fluid, it was a preservative right. fluid. It's funny that in the flashbacks in the second film, you see that it clearly says embalming, embalming fluid. fluid. right. <laughs> They have a continuity person in these movies. They're not going to pay attention to the continuity. What it turns out is that he's been waiting for this time because there is a river that flows through Egypt, Egypt at a yeah. certain time every thousand years. And if you catch it at that time, it will give you eternal life. He wants to go and get eternal life for himself and revive Victoria. His wife. His wife, yeah. He... Calls on Volnavia and did him offer the job to Virginia North, but she was pregnant at the time. So they hired an Australian actress by the name of Valley Kemp, and she's no Virginia North. Absolutely. She might even be prettier than Virginia North is, but she does not have her reign or her acting style. The problem with this film is, remember how I pointed out that Quest's original script in the first film made sure that he established how much time that he took mm-hmm. to prepare for this. The murders are a whole lot more elaborate, but there's no reason for them. And the when f- did he have time to set those up? Yeah, exactly. Like for example, the first murder that we see, he breaks into the house of this enemy that he had that we never knew about that we before, never knew about. Played by right. Robert Quarry, who was this actor that American International Pictures was trying desperately to position as the next new horror king. Because he was in this film, he was in another film that we're going to review a little bit later. Mm -hmm. He was in the Count Yorga films. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Those are laughable today. I've never seen them, no. They're very 70s. It's really, really, really bad. But it's like the first murder, Biderbex is the the character's name, breaks Mm -hmm. into Biderbex's house to steal Mm -hmm. this papyrus, which is a map to this river. The barely literate butler is still there. So he decides to kill the barely literate butler. Barely literate. By first, like... What would you need to point that out? Well, he doesn't see grunts and stuff, so he's barely literate. Barely literate. First thing he does is he sends these clockwork snakes 
in after him. They frighten him, and he's trying to kill the... the and he realizes they're clockwork and laughs. Then, he goes into another room, and there are these snakes with really obviously fake electric motors mm-hmm. attached to them. So he thinks, oh, more clockwork snakes, ha ha ha. Picks one up, gets bit by him. Good for him. So you figure, that's the death, right? Right. No, that's not the death. He's got the poison going through him, stumbles over to the phone, picks up the phone, at which point... Volnavia pushes a plunger down somewhere, mm-hmm. and a gold spike in the shape of an asp is driven through this guy's head. Elaborate. Why? It's a butler, for God's sakes. There's another guy who Somebody's is... Somebody's gotta yeah. die. The deaths, there's no rhyme or reason of to course, the deaths. You know, yeah. There's another guy who is put in this giant scorpion thing. That's another guy who's crushed to death. Mm-hmm. Like a car compactor. And you sit there and you go... When did he have the time, when have time to, to create yeah. a giant car compactor in and, the middle of the desert? Well, this is what I'm saying. When did he have time? To, even less given the thing that he wasn't dead, he was in suspended yeah. animation. When did he have time yeah. to do all Because he was busy during the first five years when he was going, planning up the deaths of the first movies. It's a really bad film. <laughs> as much as I love the first one, this one is really a bad film. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I saw this on Turner Classic mm-hmm. Movies. They had them back to back. During the second one, there were moments I started falling asleep. I'll tell you the truth. I've watched the first one many, many, many times. Yeah, me too. Straight through. I have never been able to, to watch the second one in one sitting. I wasn't able to watch. Finally, I gave it up. I went to bed, and then I think I got up the next mm-hmm. day or the day after. And then I finished watching. Because that was the only way I could watch it. I want to go into the production notes here for a bit. because I had known there were plans for a third film. Yeah, there were. One of which was the one that I knew about, which was called The Brides of Fives, or Fives Resurrectus. It would have had Fives protecting his secret of eternal life from a group of Nazis who he would kill off one by one. His wife would also be brought back to life. Now that I would have liked to see. Okay. Fives against the Nazis. A sequence which existed in several proposed sequels had the Clockwork Wizards, Fives bands, attacking people. By the way, in the original <laughs> script uh-huh. of the first one, uh-huh. Volnavia was revealed to be one of the Clockwork Wizards. I kind of like the idea of her being this kind of weird anti-muse mm-hmm. who gets called up by fives whenever he yeah, needs her. Ex- Many scripts had Victoria being resurrected and showed her as a very kind, loving soul that Anton is very gentle around. But one has her as a vicious control freak who is worse than he was. Price also talked in an interview of a script he characterized as Dr. Fives in the Holy Land, which he enjoyed, but American International was interested in producing. One script penned by the people who wrote the original Fives screenplay, had Fives facing a group of Satanists, led by Dr. Vasilius's now adult son. Some of the deaths were incredibly elaborate. A Hoover device which sucked out people's organs, and someone being covered in butter and fed to a lobster. The film ended with Vasilius thrown in an acid pit, while Navia committed suicide, and Victoria coming back to life only to be killed again. It ended with Fives taking his own life and the words, Keep on trucking, appearing on a large screen. <laughs> the screenplay, much like the initial draft of the 5B script, is generally devoid of humor and is more vicious, which may be why it was passed over. Right. Another plan for a sequel was The Seven Fates of Dr. Fives. In this, Fives resurrects Victoria and the two search for seven small statues that will fulfill their ultimate plan with assistance from Volnavia, who is described as looking different, mm-hmm. suggesting another actress would play the part. Sections of the film take place in Athens. There is even an labyrinth at one point. 
to obtain these statues, they kill people in styles based on Greek mythology. See, now this sounds like a five sequel. That sounds like a five because sequel, yeah. it has that unity, because I remember correctly, I had heard at one point that the Five's Resurrected script had people being murdered in accordance with the 12 Days of Christmas. Christmas. But whenever he murders somebody, mm-hmm. like with the 10 plagues right. of Egypt, it should go in that mode where he takes various things like, okay, the 12 Days of Christmas, <laughs> and murder people like that. In the Seven Fates of Dr. Five's, Trout and Waverly show, Waverly is the superior officer, show up again, though at one point Trout leaves the police and later rejoins it. There's the usual banter between them. When in Crete, do as the Cretans do. I thought you already did that, sir. Seven Fates would have revealed Venavia's entity as the Greek goddess Athena, which is in keeping with how she behaves in the two films. Right. And featured footage of Fives before his accident. There is, again, a satanic character who, like Biderbeck and Vasilius, is in many ways Fives equal, but he concedes defeat and lets Fives kill him, crying, it is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. People suggested for that role were Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, or Donald Pleasance. The film would have ended with Fives getting his own face and voice back. Athena would then break her silence, saying, Come, children of Zeus, you do not belong here in this age. This time has no place for you. You are of a different race now and must take leave of mortal worlds to find your own home among the sky and stars. Come with me now. It is time. Then Fives, Victoria, and Athena ascended to heaven by a flying organ, which would once more place somewhere over the rainbow. Waverly, shocked, exclaims that this is impossible, and if I'm wrong, may God strike me down. He is then struck by a bolt of lightning as Fives laughs echoes. Treatment of the film still exists. Well, every once in a while you hear that they're going to remake The Abominable Dr. Fives. The thing is, it's one of these things where if they remade it, I can only assume it's going to suck because they're going to take all the subtle tone time and place and it should stay Well, you know, the first thing they would do is they would bring the Fives films into the modern day. The only person I could see doing it Mm -hmm. is our good friend Tim Burton. I would agree to that. Yeah. Tim Burton... Well, because Tim Burton would have the respect for Vincent Price. Well, this is what I'm saying. Because he was the guy that had Vincent Price. Yeah. That was, was the first film yeah. that he did. Vincent. Yeah. About the little boy love Vincent Price mm-hmm. and what he did, uh, you know, the scissor hands. Right. He had Vincent Price. So I can see that. Can you imagine Johnny Depp playing I Dr. Five? Yeah. 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 Another actor who comes to mind is Gary Oldman. There you go. That would make Helena Bonham Carter into Volnavia. Again, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just one of these people that don't get Helena Bonham Carter, I guess. Oh, well. But hey, Tim Burton does. Yeah, you get your head out of Kristen Bell, maybe you would. Hey. <laughs> he says, as we just spent how many minutes talking about how great Virginia North is. Whatever happened to her? I don't know. Let's see if we can find out real quick. Give us a moment here, folks. He's looking it up. Cause I'm, cause no, I'm, they don't have an entry for Virginia North. Let's go on with this and we'll update later on. I am just going to put in a search for Virginia North. Now we'll go on to the next film and the other truly great film in this era. The film, even more than Dr. Fives, Fives is, yeah. which shows what a great actor Vincent Price was. As a matter of fact, instead of watching the sequel to Dr. Fives, if you want a good double feature, watch Dr. Fives and watch this one. Here we go. I got her. I got her. So we'll, talk, we'll come back to Virginia North later. Theater of Blood. <laughs> Directed by Douglas Hickok. Edward Kendall Sheridan Lionheart, <laughs> who sees himself as the greatest actor that ever lived. With a name like that, you have yes. no choice but to be the greatest actor that and, ever lived. But is a tremendous snob. He will only appear in Shakespeare. Right. He ends up throwing himself off a building because the local critic circle will not acknowledge, will not his, acknowledge his work. He is believed dead many years later. The critics are begin to be <laughs> murdered in ways that reflect... The Shakespearean, Shakespearean plays, plays yeah. of Lionheart's last repertory before he mm-hmm. died. 
One is killed by a group of people a la Caesar in an old tenement. In an old tenement, right, a bunch of bums. Right. The next one is speared and dragged by the tail of a horse mm-hmm. a la Troilus and Cressida. The Merchant of Venice is reworked in the third murder mm-hmm. so that the one critic gets his heart cut out and then one like just blackly comic coda they weigh the heart and they go, weigh, it's yeah. a little heavy. It's a little heavy, and yeah. And they cut a bit off. Mm-hmm. But it's exactly a pound of flesh. Another one has his head sawn off while in bed, in accordance to Cymbeline. What they discover is that Lionheart is very much alive. Mm-hmm. He was saved by the homeless people. And yeah. is coming back for revenge. And he's kind of like a king now. Yeah. yeah. They're holed up in this mm-hmm. abandoned theater where he's giving Shakespearean recitals to these bums who are just totally out on their ass. Now is drunk. the winter of our yeah. discontent. And you see, they're all laid all over the seat yeah. and everything. And he's acting his ass off. <laughs> the head of the critic circle. The critic the time, circle. Reaches out to the daughter of, Ed, of Lionheart, mm-hmm. played by. Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. Who we have talked about and is a great, great woman. Mm-hmm. There's also this mysterious young man who is kind of Lionheart's right-hand man in the film and helps him with the murders, which are becoming more and more elaborate, elaborate yeah. and more and more strained. My favorite is probably, of course, what happens to Meredith Meridu. Mm-hmm. He is force-fed a pie made out of his two dogs that he carries around everywhere. Mm. As much as I love Vincent Price's performance... Mm-hmm. Diana Riggs' performance oh, is yeah. just as great. Because we find out that that young man with the big mutton chops and the frizzy afro mm-hmm. is her. And she's the one that's actually helping him get revenge. Mm-hmm. She's daddy's little girl. And, and it's worth pointing out that in real life, Vincent Price and Diana Riggs were great friends. When Vincent Price was unable to, because of advancing illness, mm-hmm. to continue as a host of mystery, mystery, he personally recommended Diana Riggs to take yeah, over. Exactly. Get this, this is interesting. What? The film has recently been adapted for the stage by the British company Improbable, with Jim Broadbent playing Edward Lionheart, and Rachel Sterling, Diana Riggs' daughter, playing her brother's role of Edwina. The play differs from the film, as the critics are now from the major British newspapers, like The Guardian and The Times, and is all set within an abandoned theater. The play is also set in the 70s rather than contemporary times, and makes fun of the politics of theater at that time. Another change is the reduction of deaths, and the police characters are more or less entirely removed. So that's kind of interesting. But you know what I always liked about this movie? It's an extremely literate horror movie. Yeah, you oh. can actually learn something about Shakespeare mm-hmm. watching this movie. Lionheart, either before or after every murder, does a soliloquy. You're right. And you sit there and you go, see the Vincent Price that Jose Ferrer was always telling us about. What a great Shakespearean actor he could have been. He is just magnificent. He's mesmerizing. It's not only a damn good horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But you can actually learn something about Shakespeare, which I'm sure is one of the reasons why it always remained one of Vincent Price's And favorite. I pray that they never try, get around to trying to remake this, because you know that they're going to take all Well, the they're going to take all the Shakespeare. They're, they're going to make it about movie critics or something. That's the first thing they're going to do. They're going to rip In all fact, the Shakespeare out. Because I love this film so much. I brought this film up to my editor mm-hmm. at Fangoria a number of times, and he always says, oh, they should remake it with movie critics this time. It wouldn't make any sense no, then. No, it wouldn't make any sense. It would be like that film that Dennis Christopher was in. Uh, was it Fade to Black? Fade to Black. The whole point of this film is the the Shakespearean thing mm-hmm. holding it together. Exactly. Which is why if you take it out, it don't work. And it also leads to the final lines at the end when he eventually hurls himself once again from a theater. <laughs> After his daughter is dead, you cut back to Inspector Boot. Uh, and they basically critique the death. And the critique the death. Which... 
ironically caps the whole thing in a movie. <laughs> this is what started this shit. Yeah. People critiquing his performance. And Douglas Hickok never quite, unfortunately, never quite got as good as, again, but his son has gone on to do a couple of interesting low-budget horror films, including the Waxworks series. Apparently his daughter is a film editor who has done work on films such as The Jacket, Kinky Boots, Blood and Chocolate, Blue Crush, and A Walk to Remember. This and the first five films are probably my favorite Vincent Price films of all time, period, because they're just so amazingly good. Very stylish. The stories hang together. Once again... As we discussed with the first five films, the script is smart enough to realize you need a lot of time to plan this to sort plan of thing. To plan this shit out. So, I mean, I think he's dead ten years in this film. That one is definitely recommended. Then we come to the one that I didn't even know anything about until I saw it in the set, which is Madhouse. Okay. The last film that he did for American International in uh, association with an Amicus Pictures, mm-hmm. which, as you know, is a favorite British studio of mine, the one that did all the anthology films. Right. Big claim to fame of this film is it is the only film, even though they've appeared in films together, this is the only time that Vincent Price and Peter Cushing have had scenes together. They were in Scream and Scream yeah. again, but they never met. They never they, met, they, they yeah. Never they're also together. in right. Dr. Five's Rises in Dr. again. Five, right, but again, they never have any scenes together. This one, they actually interact. This is the only movie that they The only have. movie they've ever actually had scenes in. Interesting. It's actually a surprisingly kind of sweet for a horror film. <laughs> it is about a actor, Paul Toombs, mm-hmm. who is famous for this horror movie series that he starred in in the 50s and 60s called Dr. Death, mm-hmm. which was created by his best friend, who is played by Peter Cushing. He has this traumatic experience on New Year's Eve for showing his last Dr. Death film, where it looks like he killed his fiance in a way reminiscent of one of his films. One of his movies, right. And it cracks him. And he spends a year wandering the streets of Hollywood Boulevard, dressed in his costume, not quite sure who he is. <laughs> Eventually he goes to an insane asylum. Pick up in the modern day, a film producer played by Robert Quarry is looking to make a TV show about Dr. Death. Mm-hmm. And has prevailed upon Paul's best friend, created the character, to get Paul to London to be in this show. Oh, gotcha. And one of the things that I find so charming about this film is, this is almost Price's own farewell to the bulk of his career. Well, this is what made, like, 1974, 75. Yeah, so he's been making horror films for 30 years yeah. now. And like we said at the top of this show, now we're getting the Texas Chainsaw Massacres right. and the Last House on the Left. And that type of new wave type mm-hmm. of horror movie, right. that's more into the slasher thing. His brand of horror really is on the way out. The problem is, of course, is that much like people like Three Stooges and stuff, Paul Toombs has had a renaissance in his career because mm. people have been watching the Dr. Death movies on television. For example, he's on a boat to get to London, and he's approached by this young woman played by Linda Hayden, mm-hmm. who is this minor... British screen queen who is absolutely stunningly gorgeous Mm -hmm. and appeared in another one of my favorite films from that era which is a film called The Blood on Satan's Claw she's trying to get him because she thinks that she calls up to him it'll revitalize her career revitalize her career as well right he doesn't have anything to do with her and she ends up dead because somebody is running around in an approximation of the Dr. Death outfit, <laughs> killing people who pissed Vincent Price off. 
We're not sure if it's Vincent Price. Because he goes up to uh, Peter Cushing's house where he's staying while mm-hmm. he's, they're filming the show. Yeah, Turns out that he married this girl that Price had once dated but then broke up with. Once again, and, chasing other people's women. And she's played by Adrienne Corey, and she came to a bad end because it was obvious that she and Peter Cushing did not l- love each other. So she went, became like a nymphomaniac and started like All right. cruising around Hollywood, picking up men and having sex with them. And then she picked somebody up who liked to beat their women. He got scared and set her car on fire. Damn. So she's now living in the basement of Peter Cushing's mansion, mm-hmm. all disfigured, playing with this like mess of spiders. He has several murders. The murders all more or less approximate murders that occur in the Dr. Death movie. The Dr. Death movies in this film are represented by clips from... Some of Vincent Price's Old older Vincent films. Price, Victoria, gotcha. So you see The Raven mm-hmm. at one point. You see The Haunted Palace. I gotta be honest that the last act doesn't make a whole lot. Up until the point where the revelation of who was actually doing the killing happens. Price fakes another breakdown and fakes his own death. And then finds the person who was doing the actual killing. Stalks the person to his home. Mm-hmm. And has a confrontation with him. After that... The last couple of scenes make no sense whatsoever. I'm still, I've watched this film three times. I'm still trying to figure out what You're they meant. trying to figure out what they meant. I got you. On the whole, would you recommend it? As yeah, it's, it's a surprisingly good film. Because I was expecting it to be dreadful. Because I figured nobody ever mentions this film again. Yeah, before. I mean, I've never heard of it until you brought it up. It's surprisingly good. Part of it is this performance by Price where... He's playing this guy at the end of his career. Would like to put that career behind him, but mm-hmm. it keeps dragging him back. Playing himself. Plus, at, you, at this yeah. Point. Plus, you've got another um, the actress who plays this, uh, this Natasha Pine, mm-hmm. who also is a, gives a very good performance. Is very sweet, and is like almost like a father and daughter relationship developing between Tombs this woman mm-hmm. until she's of course horribly murdered <laughs> towards the tail end of the second act. Which triggers the, the quote unquote the fake breakdown. I would recommend this. This is actually worthwhile. Oh, okay. Now we have one more film to take care of, which is another film that you and I greatly love. Which one is that, my friend? Oh, that one. The Witch Finder General. Whoa, Otherwise whoa. known as The Conqueror the Worm. worm yeah. Which title do you prefer? It really has nothing to do with The Conqueror Worm. But they did that because, of course, yeah. they were trying to make the Poe reference right. because the Poe movies were Vincent Price mm-hmm. had become so identified with acting in these movies that were based on um, the Poe story. They even used a quotation from The Conqueror Worm at the beginning of the right. movie. The Witch Finder General. And the act- thing is, is, it was a film that I think that, that the American distributors didn't know what to do with because it was made in 68 but wasn't released here in the States till about 72. This movie is so twisted they yeah. didn't know what to do. <laughs> and the thing is, let's be, let's be honest it, it, here. It's not really a horror film. It's not. It's, a, it's not. It's a costume drama. A yeah. very grim very costume drama. Where really none of the characters are likable. This film is notable for the fact that it is the last film by a rather remarkable gentleman who unfortunately died far, far, far too early in his life. Michael Reeves, an English film yeah. director and screenwriter. He only ended up making, I think... What, three movies, something like that? Uh, let's see. Yeah, basically, three horror yeah, films. Yeah, three movies, yes. And a are. couple of other minor films. Mm-hmm. But he's best known for the three horror films that he made. The Witch Hunter General was considered the greatest and... The best one, yes. And with good reason. <laughs> it's also the source of one of my favorite Vincent Price stories. 
Because apparently Reeves wanted Donald Pleasance to play Matthew Hopkins, which is Price's character. Yeah. And couldn't get him, so he went to Vincent Price. And I get the impression this is something that Vincent Price did with all of his new directors. Mm -hmm. Is that he came on set and started hamming it up and going booga, booga, booga. Reeves had a conniption. Vincent Price looked at him and said, my young man. I've been in over a hundred horror movies. What have you done? Mm-hmm. And he said, three good ones. Price shut up after yeah. that and did... I've heard that too, that Price, he deliberately did that because he wanted to see if the directors would have the balls to mm-hmm. rein him in or if they were just going to let him run around and do whatever he wanted to do. Yeah, It was a co-production of Tygen Films. Tygen is kind of like the forgotten of the mm-hmm. British horror studios of the 60s and 70s, which is odd because... Of the three, between Hammer, Amicus, and Tygen. Tygen is probably the one that comes out with the most bizarre and strange films. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that were responsible for Blood on Satan's Claw. Right. They were also responsible for another film that is notorious called The Blood Beast Terror. (laughs) The one about the giant ambulatory blood-sucking moth. But this one is not really a horror film. It's it's a a period piece. It's a costume drama. It's set during the British Civil War and focuses on a character played by Ian Ogilvy, who is a captain of the, the Guard, mm-hmm. up and coming in the, the Army. Well-liked by his comrades. Well-liked. In fact, when we first see him, he saves the life of his superior officer. A superior officer, right. Who recommends him for a promotion. Mm-hmm. And actually has him meet Cromwell. He's engaged to marry the daughter of a priest. Takes off for a while yeah. and go visits her mm-hmm. after he gets all of this accolades. And right, like played that. by Hilary Dwyer. However, the priest is marked for Heres- investigation, heresy, heresy. by Invest- one Matthew Hopkins, who is an actual figure. Actual historical figure. Actual That's historical right, yeah. figure who is played by Vincent Price find out that he's like a really unpleasant man. Oh, he's a bastard. He's a total bastard. And he travels the country with this guy that's an even worse bastard than him. Right. And what they do is that they go around the country and they point at people and say, are you a witch? Well, no, I'm not a witch. Then they say, well, prove it. How do you prove you're not a witch? You know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The thing is, like, for example, when they go to investigate whether the priest is a witch, Hopkins goes to his daughter and says... If you give yourself to me, I'll protect him. (laughs) And she, having no other choice, gives herself to him. And that's good for about a day or two. And then he just kills him anyway. Which goes to show you how twisted this movie is. In a lot of movies, when you have situations that are like that, the daughter says, oh, I'll never give myself to you. She wants to save her daddy. This guy Hopkins has a reputation that when he comes to town, people hide their whole families in their basement. People know what type of shit he's capable of. It's a very grim little movie, because mm-hmm. basically what happens is, you know, he finds out about it, goes AWL from the army yeah. to get his revenge. He goes ape shit. And once again, has with most of the films that we've discussed, things do not end <laughs> happily for these people. Part of the reason why this film is so amazing is just Vincent Price, for the same thing, reason with Dr. Fives. He's not doing his melodramatic shit. He's doing things straight on, and he gives it the creepiest performance of his career. Oh, brilliantly creepy performance. And he does the most horrible thing. He has no compunctions about using mm-hmm. his authority, because his authority comes from the king. So he intimidates people, threatens people. Oh, man, he just, like, forget about it. And it apparently caused a big stir in its native land. Especially because of that ending. The torture, yeah, yeah, not the yeah, end. Oh, man. The torture scenes were excised from a lot of the British prints. However, the American version that we all saw in uh, 72 mm-hmm. was pretty much untouched. 
which is a change from the usual, where it's really the other way around. Why it's known as the Conqueror Worm is that they didn't know what to do with this film, so they tacked on the Conqueror Worm name and put excerpt of the poem at the end of the film to kind of, sort of, try to link it with the Poe cycle that had just ended. In fact, they, they did that before with The Haunted Palace, the Haunted which is Palace, actually an H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft adaptation, but they used the Haunted Palace name mm-hmm. from a Poe poem. This one is, along with Fives and along with Theater of Blood, this is among probably his best work, period. Yeah, I'd have to say it's right up there with like with another movie we haven't talked about, The Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and, which is another one of his great non-horror performances. Yeah. This is a movie that you look at it, and it's so creepy, and it's so atmospheric. Nobody's clean in this movie. Right. Nope. There's no it sun- looks like, and that's something that I've had a problem with. The Middle Ages suck. Yeah. <laughs> this is a problem I have had with a lot, and I mean a lot of historical dramas that have mm-hmm. come out in the last five years, which is that history has cleaned up something fierce. Yeah. Not in this one. There's no straight roads. Everything is muddy. I don't believe there's one sunny scene in this movie. It's always oh, yeah. cloudy. It's always gray. Everybody's dirty. Everybody looks like they're tired. The Middle Ages really, really sucked. <laughs> they did it that. This was not a time, to, this is not a happy time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Nobody looks like they're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. It is not a film to sit down with popcorn and a bunch of friends to make fun of the screen. No. This is a very grim, 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 depressing film. Because everybody's running around. At one point, even Hopkins' sidekick tries to double-cross him. And tries to get him killed. So he can get out under his servitude. Because it's never really explained the relationship between them two. But you get the impression that Hopkins got something on him. And if he tries to run, but he does get away at one point of the movie yeah. where he tries to have Hopkins killed. And it unwittingly yeah. runs into Ian Ogilvy, yeah. who thrashes the crap who out of him. beats the shit out of him. You're like, oh, good on you, man. Yeah, exactly. Because at like, this point in the movie, he's done with ape shit. This is an excellent, excellent film. Can't recommend it enough. To review. To recap and to review. To recap and review of the well, seven films in this set. But you can get for, I've seen it at like Best Buy or that for $40. I got it for 25 from Deep Discount DVD. Twice Told Tales, not worth it. But Tales from Terror is recommended. Definitely recommend Abominable Dr. Five. Absolutely, without question. Forget that the sequel ever existed. Only if you want to be a completist. Right, Dr. Five yeah, Crisis again. Yeah. Definitely a thousand percent theater of blood. Most definitely. And I would recommend, even though most of us haven't heard of this before this set, Madhouse okay. is very worthwhile. And extremely worthwhile as well is the Witchfinder General. Absolutely. Put that on your must-see list. And there's also in this box set a disc of documentaries about Price about his life, about his acting style, about just a lot of good information. And I'd also like to mention there were other movies that Vincent Price did non-horror that we mm-hmm. didn't mention that's worth it. The Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. of course. Laura, Laura, one of the greatest film noirs of all time. That one you definitely ought to check out. Tower of London. Another one of these films that was kind of passed off as a horror film. Even right, but really a, wasn't. It's a historical drama right. about Richard III. Mm-hmm. He was in The Three Musketeers. The, there you in go. the 1948 version. Casanova's Big Night, a comedy with Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. The man can play comedy too. Yep. House on Haunted Hill, my favorite horror movie of all time. And a film that we're going to come back to in an upcoming episode, The Last Man on Earth, the original House of Wax. 
uh, interest to both of us because we're uh, spy movie completists. What's that? The Dr. Goldfoot films. Yeah, Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Machine. I Dr. Love. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine and Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bomb. For those of you... <laughs> <laughs> Why does it feel like they're smoking something? Scream it! Scream again! Scream and scream again. And of course, for our younger listeners, you of course know that Vincent Price... Did the rap on the classic Michael Jackson Thriller video. He was the villain in Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Get no fooling. He was Rankin Bassified. Yeah, the rag, yeah. He played Iron Tail. So there you go. There's a good example of the range that the man had. I mean, And you look at later in his career. He was in The Great Mouse Detective. He was in The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Wales of August. Of, as a matter of fact, I think he played himself. Vincent yeah. Price. They were going around the world trying to find these 13 ghosts mm-hmm. that had been... Unleashed right. out of this mystic box. They got the help of Vincent Price. Let's take a look at what's been going down with apparently Dr. Fudge's is her last film. No fooling. We know we're going to be returning to her because she's in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh. We'll be coming back to visit her, but she's very attractive young woman. But she's still alive, right? She is still alive. She's, let's see, 45, so she's, she's about 60 years old now. Oh, okay. Still young chicky. Still young chicky. I bet you she still looks hot, too. We hope you enjoyed this little uh, look at Vincent Price's later career. Mm, yeah. And I guess it's not time for administrative, right? I, yes, it's time for the administrative As I duty. call up all the information, the old Gray Delco here. If you want to send us an email and tell us why the heck did you spend an hour talking about Vincent Price movies, you can send us an email at better... Because we can. It's our podcast, buddy boys. And while we spent about ten minutes talking to Virginia North, hey, I had Fantasy 334, Kristen Bell, that's for sure. Thus, we get our Kristen Bell reference. That's the obligatory Kristen Bell reference for this episode. You can go to better mm, the dark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. We have actually a very nice wallpaper this time. Very demure one. Yeah, very demure. If you want to, you can leave a comment on our Potomatic page at betterinthedark.potomatic.com or you can join our Yahoo mailing list at yahoo.movies.com backslash groups backslash betterinthedark. We will get on that message board sometime soon. We will put a message board up and it will be cool. Until next time, I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And whatever you do, no matter where you go, whether you love it or hate it, Go Go see see that that movie. movie. Good night. Thank you. Good night. God bless. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Desmond Reddick of Dread Media, the Drunken Zombie Podcast, Ben Howard and Dan Autry of Mondo Movies, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. If Better in the Dark does decide to kill its critics, it will do so in ways pounded after episodes of Robot Chicken. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas C.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember to avoid operating on the wives of near-psychotic geniuses who were thought dead. Upstairs in my safe is a most precious map of papyrus, the way to a pharaoh's tomb beneath which flows each 2,000 years the river of life.